It's the Morgan Evans More or Less Pickleball Podcast coming at you in three, two, one, boom. My guest today didn't just walk into being a pro pickleball player. She fought tooth and nail to earn the title while still working as a full-time pharmacist. She's got an adorable accent, she's an absolute sweetheart and one of the best players in the world. Maybe the best ever to not come from a racket sport. We're going to talk about that, or we're going to talk about what kind of things have made her the player she is today, and what it's going to take to get her to the next level. Please welcome Katie Dyer. How are you, sweetie? Oh, doing great. Doing great, Morgan. How are you? It's a little warm out here. The desert uh, was 110 today, so I'm uh, not playing as much pickleball as I would like, but at least Riverside County um, has opened up, which means I'm able to play. That's wonderful. We've been quite limited on play here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I live right outside of Chattanooga, and we had a tornado come through our area on Easter Sunday, and that caused some damage to our pickleball courts and the fencing. So we've been, along with coronavirus, unable to play because of the tornado damage. Oh, no. Yeah, so hopefully they'll get it back up in shape and we'll be back on the court soon, hopefully. In a typical week uh, without viruses and tornadoes and any other kind of plague that might uh, attack, how often do you typically play and train? So playing for me, I generally will play around three to five days a week. Obviously, it's been quite a bit more sparse than that recently. But generally, I'll play around three to five days a week, maybe drilling one of those days. I have a ball machine that I use quite a bit that I drill with. Which one have you got? I have the lobster. Oh, yeah. I've I've seen those. Often turn up the lobster to as high as it'll go. My dad, being a drill sergeant type of (laughs) coach for me growing up, one time we were out there drilling late at night. And the pickleball courts, you have to push the lights and they'll stay on for around 30 minutes. You have to remember to push them again for them to stay on. And we forgot to push them and the lights went out. And I was like, all right, I guess I guess we're finished. And my dad turned to me and was like, nope, <laughs> Katie, you're going to have to defend some third shot drives in the dark. You know, it's going to make you better. So I was defending third shot drives in the dark and <laughs> I think it helped me fine tune my game for sure. That's great. I remember about 12, 13 years ago, I was living in Canada. I was teaching tennis at a place called Timberlane Athletic Club. I was running a a summer camp and one of the ideas I had was like a kind of like a dodge the ball machine game for the kids. So I'd set it up and then, you know, put it on random and they'd have to pick a spot, stay there. If the ball hit them, they're out. Yeah. My assistant coach, his name was Doug, and he used to be a hockey goaltender. So he, he decided he wanted to find out if he could stand at the net and with the ball machine at the baseline, have it cranked up full blast aiming, you know, basically at straight at him. Um, and if he could catch one of the balls. Uh-huh. Needless to say, I turned on the machine, and it came out like a rocket ship, bounced off the top of his forehead and hit the roof, uh, which was about 40 or 50 feet high. So he, he was a little surprised at how fast a, a tennis ball machine could fire a ball. It's probably 100 miles an hour, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, his hockey background did not uh, oh, serve him too well there, unfortunately. But ball machines, got to love them. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I do have some great drill partners as well that I get to practice with occasionally. Who do you have in your area that you work with? Well, I did have my good friend, Jesse Taylor, who I had played quite a bit of tournaments with a year or so ago, but he has moved away. Uh, My other friend, Josh Cook, occasionally drills with me. 
And I have a large group here in Chattanooga that play with me. Tom and Yoli Tadler will like to drill with me quite a bit. I mean, there's many others to name a few. So, Objectively speaking, are you the best player in your area? Well, there's some great male players as well. But female-wise, I'm probably one of the better players for sure in our area. Yeah. Do you find, you know, being in that kind of role, that firstly you kind of have a bit of a responsibility to, you know, help as many people as you can? Absolutely. But also, do you find you're still able to improve your game beyond just keeping in shape and keeping keeping warm, keeping a good rhythm? Yeah, it, it definitely does hinder your progress for sure. I mean, I'm not going to deny that, but I have a lot of players that are willing to work with me and drill with me. And I love helping people. So in any way that I can, I love to help others with their game and, you know, drill with different people, play with different people. I mean, I love it. Just meeting people in pickleball is really the greatest aspect and growing the sport. Yeah, they're a good bunch, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You'd be hard pressed to find another sport with such a, a decent bunch of people. Absolutely. Everyone who never knows a stranger in the game of pickleball, that's for sure. So now you, you didn't come from a strong racket sport background. Yes. You were a softball player in college. How does that kind of impact your game? And what I really want to kind of establish is a little bit along the lines of, do, do you feel like there's always going to be space in the game of pickleball for someone who doesn't come from a racket sport background? I do think there will always be a space for those that didn't come from racket sports. Now, will the racket sport players have a great advantage early on and just knowing all the technique, all the practice they've had in those very similar stroke styles? But I still do think that there is a great need for players that do not have a racket sport. You'll often hear players talk about how players who do not have a racket sport advantage that they're very unorthodox and it's hard to read their shots. So you often find yourself dumbfounded at times playing against people that are a little more unorthodox than Mm, others. You know, tennis players are tremendous, but I often find that I can read their shots much more easily. Yeah, definitely. Their technique is so perfect that oftentimes I find that you can read it more easily. It's the ones that are a little more unorthodox that are, gosh, where on earth are they hitting the ball? I thought you were going over here, you know, that really catch you off guard and get your opponents off balance to create opportunities. I completely agree with you. I think having the kitchen line, you know, where it is with such a, you know, a short time, short amount of time and space to react to someone's shot. You know, if you're someone who can be a little sneaky, yes. you know, I, I can't wait for some of some seriously good tennis players, and obviously we've got great a lot of great tennis players. But someone like a Roger Federer or a Gaël Monfils or someone to pick it up and just to see, you know, if they are able to, if and how quickly they're able to start to read some of these more un- unorthodox attacks. Um, Correct, and I think that their reach as well for some of those players is really going to put pressure on opponents. Mm with their ability to reach balls and take balls out of the air that you never thought were even close to a tackle. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, when I first started learning to play, Brian Ashworth was one of the guys that uh, was in the the group. Great guy. Yeah. Everyone loves Brian. He's he's the guy. Yes. I I couldn't, and I probably still don't know how to deal with his unorthodox, slippery stuff. This corkscrew's coming in and out. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's a nightmare. Oh, it really is. And I I still have bad dreams about playing that guy. And I think I've told him. I've told him probably way too many times. (laughs) I don't want to play you. I don't like playing you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There certainly are those 
those types of players that you still just can't figure them out. You know, you know it's coming, but you still can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you just know something bad is about to happen. <laughs> exactly. You have just enough time to wet yourself, and then you're uh, <laughs> very true, very true. You're looking in the wrong direction. Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break from Katie there. Uh, not that we need a break from Katie, but just to introduce a new segment to the show, Ask Morgan. This is where random questions were submitted online, and I'm going to do my best to field them. Wish me luck. The first question comes from Terry Hartley. He writes, I've heard you spread Vegemite on your paddle before playing. Is this true? Well, Terry, without giving away too many trade secrets, yes, it is 100 percent true. Uh, it always gets through testing. None of the refs ever want to touch it. No one can handle the smell. So it's pretty much a foolproof way uh, to give every single shot just a little bit more vitamin B. All right, the next question comes from none other than Rob Barnes. He's, uh, he's pretty high up in the Selkirk uh, pecking order, so I should probably uh, take this one seriously. He writes, do you have a pet wombat? Right. Okay. Um, thanks, Rob. Way to keep it uh, serious. Uh, well, Lauren Barnes uh, adds on, I feel like Morgan thinks you're joking, babe. Uh, which Rob replies, Lauren Barnes, I know. Nobody ever takes me seriously. Same thing when I sent him gift cards for his favorite restaurant, Outback Steakhouse. Never got a thank you. Well, Rob, uh, as it actually turns out, I did have a pet wombat. It wasn't a real wombat. Um, that would have been tough for me to keep alive for long. But when I first moved to Australia, it was 1987, and uh, my parents were trying to teach me how to swim. So as some basic bribery, they offered to uh, buy me any stuffed animal in a gift shop of a, of a hotel. I think it was called the Trade Winds Hotel. And I had my mind set on this kangaroo. You know, I was all about the kangaroo. But eventually I, uh, I did a lap of this swimming pool and I needed to, you know, do one lap without floaties to get the, um, the stuffed animal. But by the time I did it, probably took me a couple of days, it wasn't great, I went in there and at that time this little girl, her parents uh, bought her the kangaroo and I was just devastated. Uh, I was devo. And, yeah, so I had to settle for a wombat. Um, but it was a good thing in the end because that wombat basically became a rugby ball and it got me into rugby. So yeah, that's how that happened. Pet wombat. Don't remember his name though, so don't ask me that. Okay, moving on to possibly a serious question. Uh, Gregory Carter, he writes, what is your quarantine workout? Now, Greg's a friend of mine. He lives around here. Um, yeah, he's a real competitor. I think every, every group needs a competitive guy. Anyway, if I'm honest, Greg, uh, and I should probably be honest because I'll probably see you on Saturday, um, my quarantine workout has been lacking a little bit. I have been focusing on uh, my driving distance, uh, short game around the greens, um, the bump and run, a couple of flop shots, um, and just working on my line and length of, of putting. Uh, that's been kind of keeping, my, keeping me occupied during the mental, how to put it, the mental situation where you don't know when you're actually going to be able to compete again therefore the motivation to you know put in the hard yards when it's 110 degrees is a little it's tricky it's not it's not easy 
But I've always used other sports as cross-training. I used to do a lot of work in the gym, and what I found was often it was leading to a lot of tight muscle, and I'd never you know, got the massages and did the extra work um, for flexibility to actually make all that training um, worthwhile. Because at the end of the day, when I actually went to a tournament after you know, really working my body hard for you know, conditioning, power, and strength, um, at speed, often there was at least one or two muscles that would cramp uh, that was tighter than they needed to be because of all the extra work, and it didn't pay dividends um, compared to you know just being fresh, playing enough, making sure you're still seeing the ball and you know drilling with people. But in terms of quarantine workout, mate, I'm I'm happy teaching the game and uh, playing a bit of golf. You know, playing on the weekends with uh, with friends up at Palm Desert Resort. You know, I'm trying to just um, do whatever it takes to, you know, get through what is essentially a stressful situation. And I think the moment that pickleball tournaments start uh, popping up again and it's actually a sure thing we're going to be able to play, then uh, I will certainly spring into action. And I'm going to need you to help me, possibly. Okay, moving on to a question from Steve Taylor. He writes, is that accent real? And uh, for those of you who don't know, Steve is my partner in crime in the possibly wildly too successful uh, Coach Me Pickleball site. So, well, Steve, yes, all jokes aside, it is actually uh, relatively real. Um, it could be better. Uh, I need to watch Crocodile Dundee a lot more, to, you know, really get, get more of a twang going on. Um, I find whenever I'm around another Australian, it, it gets thicker and thicker until I can't even understand myself. And, you know, people around me look at me like, you don't normally sound like that, mate. Stop putting it on. You, you seem ridiculous. Anyway, I'm working on that. But um, hmm, good question. Thought-provoking. I like it. Our next question is from Clayton Constant. He writes, how much money or what would it take to get Curios or other big tennis names to play pickleball? Do you think he would dominate or not? Why? Honestly, mate, I think it would be less to do with the money and more about the respect of the sport. I think there are a number of tennis players that like playing pickleball, um, but just for fun. Just, you know, hit and giggle, enjoying a, uh, a different kind of racket sport. But they're a far cry from ever wanting to play a pickleball tournament and taking it seriously enough that uh, they would ever, you know, consider it as their profession versus tennis. I think, though, if Kyrgios did play, then yes, he would be an absolute wrecking ball. Um, that height, the reach, the, kinds of the kind of dexterity he has at full stretch, it, it's really quite incredible. Um, I think him, Federer, Monfils, those would be the guys that uh, really would do well pretty quickly. Okay, moving on to a question from Anna Sheffer. She writes, where in Aussie do you play? I have a granddaughter there who I'm like to get into pickleball. Well, Anna, I'll be honest with you. Unfortunately, I've never played pickleball in Australia. Um, my mum has. I, I gave her a pickleball lesson about uh, uh, three or four years ago, and she promptly went back to Australia as Australia's greatest player and made herself the president of the Australian Pickleball Federation, which is really genius, really. I mean... Land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? Now we've got a question from Saeed Habib Fawaz. He writes, Being an Aussie, 
Do you or did you used to play cricket? Well, Saeed, uh, yes, I did briefly. When I first moved to Australia, uh, 87, I think it was, uh, my dad got me into soccer and cricket, I believe, and I uh, did not excel at either one. I found cricket to be a little too boring for me, and uh, in soccer, I remember always being that kid that would kind of just hang out near the goals and hope that someone would see that I was really close to the goals, and if they just passed me the ball, it was a great chance. Obviously, uh, as a six-year-old, the nuances of the uh, offside rule were lost on me, and uh, either way, if I didn't suck at those things, um, I would not have been put into tennis lessons at a nearby resort. So that worked out nicely. And the last question comes from Leonard Young. Is anyone pushing pickleball to be an Olympic sport? That's a great question, Leonard. And I think the answer is yes. I believe uh, that Seymour Rifkin, who is uh, the head of the IPTPA, um, as well as a number of other uh, high-level positions in the game of pickleball, he is really working at it, um, and uh, that's great for everybody. It's going to take a little bit of time. It won't, it won't be an Olympic sport um, before it's a demonstration event. So the next time that the Olympics are held in, uh, in America, we should be able to organize to get it as a demonstration event. Um, that'd be nice. I'd love to play for uh, Australia. I think I got a good chance to make the team, or at least a coach. I don't know. Um, it's the, the timing of how long it's going to take uh, is, a, is a question I get asked a lot. You know, to get from where it is right now to a level whereby so many countries around the world have governing bodies, uh, the kind of money involved um, can support it, you know, really give it legs. And for television networks to want to play the sport, uh, you know, on their networks, on their dime, as opposed to Pickleball's dime, you know, those kind of boxes need to be ticked before uh, it's going to be considered as an official Olympic event. But, you know, I always go back to there is or was at least an individual synchronized swimming event in the Olympics. So yeah, it's our canary in the mine. Well, hopefully that was informative and at least mildly entertaining. I know I had fun. We'll definitely do it again. We're going to take a brief pause there for a word from our sponsor. Practice makes perfect, right? My name is Morgan Evans, and I have to tell you that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes progress. That's why we've created Coach Me Pickleball. At Coach Me Pickleball, you'll find an extensive and growing library of lessons on topics covering every aspect of pickleball for every level of player. For one small monthly fee, you'll get access to every video in our library with new content added every month. Check out coachmepickleball.com to sign up for a free seven-day membership. Ah, that's good stuff there. I never get tired of that. All right, heading back over to Katie. One of the things you're known for is is a, uh, a very high level of dinking. Can you tell me a little bit about you know 
Is it something you've always drilled and worked on specifically, or is it something that just kind of came relatively natural to you? It actually did not come naturally to me. Being a softball player, even when I played games with my family, such as golf, I felt like my hardest shot was 30 yards out. Mm. You know, <laughs> I always thought with softball, why hit something unless you're going to hit it as hard as you can? <laughs> so that that mentality that mentality to me was quite foreign, you know, getting the deep game going. That's been something that I've really, really had to practice quite a bit. And I'm still trying to practice and still trying to progress my game in the deep game. I often find at the top level, there's quite a bit more spin put on the ball, such Mm. as Morgan Evans himself. (laughs) A lot of players are putting a lot more spin on the ball, hitting more offensive dinks. I think that's really becoming quite a bit of an advancement in the game. You don't really recognize it when you're watching players play, Mm. but there's often a lot of players that are hitting very aggressive dinks and really setting up their opportunities. And sometimes you feel like you're playing defense, even though it's a neutralized point. Some players are just really, really great at it. And I've had to develop my craft in the dink game and I'm still working on it constantly. Well, that's great. That's great. I think a lot of players, you know, believe that once they have you know, what's unanimously known as, you know, a strong point or a strength in their game, they start to essentially just practice their weaknesses. And often that strength they had kind of gets left by the wayside to the point where it might no longer be a strength. It's a a liability. I practice my serve. You know, it's not like I go out there with baskets of ball, but every time I play a recreational game of pickleball, I'll make sure that a lot of the time I'm putting everything into it because I never want it to be, uh, I never want to you know, have that become a uh, a weakness. And you have a tremendous serve. Oh, you're very sweet. You really do. You have a great serve. You really push the players back and, and really keep them away from the kitchen line because of the topspin that you put on your serve and the way that you spin the ball and then create an additional amount of topspin on mm-hmm. the ball. It really hinders players from progressing to the kitchen line and really can ha- help set up the shake and bake, as you know it. The shake and bake. God, those were the days. That's for sure. The all or nothing days. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> high risk, high reward. Exactly. High risk, high reward. I'm certainly a fan of playing a more offensive style, and it's it's often gets me into a bit of trouble. But I think if you if you're someone who has a decent drive, uh, third shot or fifth shot drive, if it if it comes to that, then then it's certainly worth having a good serve because that's going to give you you know, the opportunities for short returns um, that you can use your drive to capitalize upon. But Absolutely. And those are quick, easy points. Yeah. I don't want to be out there all day. I got, I got stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. You got places to be, to people be. to see. Yeah. The bars are opening up in this county. I got you know, <laughs> places to go. I wish I had somewhere to be. No hot date for me anytime soon. Oh. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day Morgan Evans will find me a man in pickleball. Uh, maybe. All right. We, well, one oh, of these days. Well, I, I feel like there's a segment coming on. Finding Katie's partner, something like that. Whatever you think. Yeah, don't mention too much. I might hold you to it, Morgan. All right, all right, all right. That's good. We could totally play a tournament together one day. Let's, let's. Absolutely. If there's ever another pickleball tournament, we'll make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll make it. Happen. If there is, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna hold out hope that there will be. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure if nationals is gonna happen. To be honest, I keep hearing. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping for the best. Yeah. I know. I'm really, really hoping for the best, but. Yeah, it's a tough time to be alive. And as a pharmacist, um, I am kind of curious. You you probably have a fairly unique perspective in terms of, you know, exactly what it might take for a uh, a vaccine, any kind of cure, to you know be delivered to the world. Um, what do you what do you think? What's what do we need to do here? 
I do think it will be quite an amount of time before a vaccine is developed. I know there's a lot of perspectives and you could debate that for quite some time, but my goal in mind is really, this is a very tragic, tragic time for humanity, I guess, not just the U.S., but for everyone. And all I can do as a pharmacist and to educate my patients, educate my family, um, my loved ones on taking every precaution that I can in this time. I mean, I, I had to talk to my mom and dad about how to practice hand hygiene to teach them how to wash their hands properly because they weren't doing it appropriately and just educating them on that. And all I can do is take every precaution I can to protect my loved ones, protect my neighbors, protect my friends, my family that I love so much. And and that's all I can do. At the end of the day, I do the you do the best that you can and you have to go on. You have to continue your life. Yeah. And it's tragic for those that have, you know, lost loved ones, but all I can do is do the best that I can and not worry about that which I can't control as long as I'm taking every precaution that I can. Yeah. Do you think this was a freak breakout or was this some kind of inevitability based on, you know, our lack of knowledge about uh, animal-borne viruses? Yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time before something like this comes about. You hope that it won't be in your lifetime, but it's always been possible. You know, you've seen movies contemplating something like this happening, and now yeah. you see that it has. You know, it's become a reality. That which you think is is not your reality now becomes your reality, and you hope that it wouldn't be in your lifetime. But I think everybody will learn from this and and move on, and we can be better from it. This brings up a good point. I am wondering where Dustin Hoffman is in, in this whole thing. <laughs> exactly. He did yeah, such exactly. a good job in the original outbreak. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I know. I watched a few of those movies while, while quarantined for a while, that's for sure. <laughs> We've had a, an odd selection of TV shows. One of them, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but have you ever seen Last Man on Earth? No, I have not. It is eerie. It's a comedy show. Uh, Will Forte, a handful of people. And it is funny. They're 20-minute episodes, but it's based on the premise that in 2019, um, a virus basically wiped out the entire population except for uh, one guy who decides to you know, hold up in, in Tucson. Wow. And he gets to the end of his rope and he's just about to off himself. Um, and then a woman named Carol who saw one of his uh, signs around around America. He, he went to everybody, um, billboard, and wrote, Alive in Tucson. Um, he forgot to put his address, so you know, it <laughs> took, took her uh, a lot longer to find him. But um, anyway, it starts like that, and it goes on for about four seasons, and it's, uh, it's how a, a small group of survivors from a virus in 2019 try to, uh, you know, try to work it out. Wow. It's very funny, it, but eerie as well i know kind of eerie to watch things like that that are foreshadowing of what is now yeah especially if it's a comedy show that's not supposed to be foreshadowing anyway yeah exactly very much yeah (laughs) definitely not the case (laughs) welcome to pickleball trivia got a couple of contestants on the line ready to do battle first of all we've got aaron coyle from southern california how you doing aaron living large good how are you good man now so you're known as the magic man have you got any new tricks up your sleeve is that going to be enough to win today definitely for sure <laughs> good can you do tricks over the phone that would be pretty impressive uh we could try something maybe to finish if you win <laughs> your combatant is none other than greg corbett from florida which part of florida are you from greg palm beach county Oh, nice. 
That just sounds luxurious. Oh, it is. Oh, good. Excellent. Aaron's going to be contestant number one. He'll have the serve. I will ask a question. I'm almost certain he'll get it right. If he doesn't, though, then uh, it will go over to you, Greg. You will have the serve, and you'll get that point. The first person to get to five points is the winner, and they get bragging rights and just an incredible Selkirk gift voucher. You know, millions, millions of dollars, I'd say. Don't tell him I said that, though, obviously. You both ready to uh, do battle? Let's go. All right, here we go. I'll get my best announcing voice going. Aaron, question number one. Who took the silver medal in the 2019 National Women's Doubles Pro? I'm going to go Simone and uh, Miss Carr. Unfortunately, that is incorrect. That means, Greg, you have a chance here. Do you have the answer? I do not have the answer. I'm going to Google it really fast. Can you hang on? <laughs> uh, I'm, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> That's okay. Don't worry. Happens to the best of us. And the correct answer was Jesse Irvine and Catherine Parento. Oh, I, I might have known that. You might have, but turns out you didn't. So, oh well. That's okay. But that means, Aaron, you do manage to somehow keep the serve, and you'll be answering the next question almost certainly correctly. Which controversial player currently holds the unofficial world record in paddle throwing distance? That's a definite uh, Jeff Warnick. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yep, that is correct. And probably holds the record for loudest screams, too. Yeah, yeah, he, he holds a lot of record. You know, and best come-ons and all of it. Mm. Longest arms. Longest arms. He's Yeah, yeah. He's He holds almost all the records except for, you know, numbers of tournaments won, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Moving on. Question number two. Aaron, you've, you've just run away with a huge lead of 1-0. Are you ready for the next question? I am. Okay. What year was the first U.S. Open Championships? Ooh. Uh, first U.S. Open. Um... I'm going to go 2000, ooh, uh, 2016. That is correct. Oh, that was Jeez. a guess. Yeah, you, you, were, you could tell. You could tell in your voice the affliction. You were guessing. That's all right. That's all right. Not a problem. Moving on. Question number three. You've got a 2-0 lead. You must be pretty confident. In 2019, one woman was inducted into the Pickleball Hall of Fame. Who was she? Jennifer LaCour. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. Yeah, I didn't expect I mean, I should have expected such a, a level of intelligence there. You've you've really done well. I am a teacher. Oh yeah. Oh I forgot about that. Good man. Next question. Of the three men said to have invented the game of pickleball, one of them was a congressman. Who was it? This one I actually think I do know. I'm gonna go Joel Pritchard. That is correct. Right. Good job. Okay. You are on fire. Maybe I'll fault and uh, you can... <laughs> really? I am so glad you're getting these right. It's not making me look that bad. So keep <laughs> going, Aaron. I'm proud of you. I don't know, man. You're a historian here. He, he is. I play pickleball, but I don't know any of the history of it. Heck, and I was a rec major in college. <laughs> you think I'd know all this. We're not going to hold that against you, Greg. That's right. We've never had a shutout, so don't even worry. It's not about to start Oh, out. okay. 
<laughs> if it comes to that, honestly, we'll just edit it out. That's fine. That'd be great. Just put my answers with the wrong questions. Yeah, it'll seem weird, but... Um... Thank you. No worries. <laughs> okay, so Aaron, for the win, are you nervous? You, you seem, I think you're nervous. I'm pretty steady. Pretty steady, okay. Well, that's that's great. That's great. The game of pickleball was invented in 1965. However, when was the first permanent court built? Um... So it was invented in 1965, um, and we want to know when the first court was built. This is why we've never had a shutout. I'm going to say it took five years. Let's just go 1970. That is incorrect, unfortunately. We were really all hoping you were going to get that one right there. Not Greg. (laughs) Yeah, not Greg, no. (laughs) Greg, do you have the answer? I'm going to say that it didn't take five years. I'm going to say that it took two years, and there's a reason why I'm giving this year, but I'm not going to tell you. 1967. Good man. Oh, Greg. Wow, there goes my shutout. That is redemption. That is just the epitome of redemption. I'm proud of you. Oh, you're not serious. I need to Google this just to make sure I'm right. No, yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. No, literally, I've got I've got a list of questions and the answers. You know, I'm not just relying on my memory. I don't know this stuff. I... I researched it. This is why I picked it. I had no clue at all that that was the answer. The only reason why I chose that year is because that was when I was born. So I'm like, you know what? I can't go wrong with this year. Boom. This was destiny, really. I mean. Absolutely. Manifest, manifest destiny. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Greg. You're, you're on a roll here. Um, I think we all know one, one is a roll. So I think you've got a good chance for this next one, oozing confidence. The correct height for the net at the sidelines is how high? Please get this. 36. Oh, good man. Good, good. Well done, Greg. Uh, there was a pause there, and I got a little worried. Huh? But you came through. You came through. Thank you. Moving on. Your next question. Yoda refers to which famous pickleball player? Yoda? This is true. He does not use the force. Uh, he uses hip surgeries to help him. If you know this. Is he senior? Oh, yeah. He's he's very senior. Okay. Pressure is on. I can't think of his name right now. You know what? I'm going to pass this on to Aaron. Mm, you never know. Aaron might not know this one. He seems to know a lot, though. It's uh, it's almost It's almost scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's concerning. All right, Aaron, for the win, Yoda refers to which famous pickleball player? I'm kind of embarrassed because I just talked to uh, Rick about this on Saturday, but I'm getting him and his partner confused. But I'm going to go Mark Friedenberg. Is that who it is? That is correct. Congratulations. Greg, you didn't quite come away with a win, but if you want, we can just scrap this whole thing so the family you know, doesn't ever have to hear it. Oh. <laughs> good man, you're a good sport. That's right. um, you know, half the time during this particular time in our lives, all we can really do is try to give something for people to listen to, have a few laughs, keep pickleball relevant. <laughs> and I think we've done that today. Appreciate Morgan. Thanks for what you do. Hey, no worries, man. My part's the easy part. You guys have to answer the questions. But I am curious, Aaron. You mentioned you could you could do some kind of magic trick over the phone. This would be the coolest thing ever happening over a phone. So what have you got for us? Come on. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't think you would actually go for it, but um, (laughs) (laughs) we'll try something here. It does involve some math. So if you're not that good at math, bring out your calculator. uh, Okay. I will definitely do that. Pick a number between one and 10. Don't tell me what it is. Okay. And multiply that by nine. Okay. 
We're going to add those two digits together. So let's say your total was 23. You would add those, uh, the two and the three together for five. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. You have that? I do. It's minus five. Okay. And now you're going to correlate your number to a letter. So let's say if your number was one, that would be A, two, B, all the way, Z, 26, and so on. So you're tracking with me so far? Gotcha. Yep. So far, so good. I want you to think of a country that starts with that letter. Okay. Now you're going to move one letter to the right in the alphabet. Okay. So if you were on A, you'd be on B now. And think of an, an animal that starts with that letter. Okay. And maybe a color that could go along with that animal. Okay. All right. I'm writing things down. All right. Very good. All right. So you have maybe a country and an animal and the color of that animal in your head. You have you have something down? Yep, I do. All right. The only problem is there's no gray elephants in Denmark. Oh, come on. Seriously? <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay. I see what you've done there. I mean, I do and I don't. I'll, I'm going to give you credit. If you didn't win the, the quiz, I was going to give it to you for sure. All right. Um, that's exactly what I had. Denmark, elephant, gray. Yeah, I guess there's no, not too many other D countries. Is, is there another D country? Da, da, da. Uh, not if you're counting Des Moines, but that's, uh, that's not a country. Or well, that's exciting. Everyone's going to do that on, you know, when they listen to this. So, you know, you, this, this could be your, you know, your big break. You could come out. Yep. It's huge. Yep. Check check out my Instagram. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. He'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Magic Man and Greg. Hope you're both staying safe, and we will see you on the court soon. All right. Thanks, Walter. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. Cheers. Okay, now switching topics just slightly. I'd say there's probably a fairly well established, you know, three or four, five perhaps um, top female players in the world. And you're sort of knocking on that door. What do you feel like is going to be necessary for you to, you know, break through um, and have, you know, the performance of a lifetime, for example, and then and get the confidence and success from that that uh, spurs you on further? I guess you mentioned a couple of the key ingredients I feel like and being able to be successful against some of those top players is number one confidence you know being confident in your shot selection not being nervous on the court you've got nothing to lose uh, a lot of the on a lot of those occasions when you're playing against the Simonis Jardines the Lucy Kovalovas the Lee Waters I mean all great friends of mine um, on and off the court as well but playing against some of those top players really just playing to your advantages, trying to play to their weaknesses, even though they don't seem to have much of any weaknesses. And also a lot of advice that I've gotten, not being, not being nervous on the court. I often, I play with Cassandra Gerke quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And we often turn to each other in the middle of a match when we notice that, you know, things are getting tense. You may have missed a couple of shots. We turn to each other before a serve and say, smile, have fun. As much as you're relaxed, if you're relaxed on the court, you're going to play so much better. If you're having a great time, you're going to loosen your paddle grip. You're not going to have a tight paddle grip and, and pop up those shots. Um, those blocks tend to pop up quite a bit more when you're more tense. You're gripping your paddle more tightly. Yeah. A lot of those key ingredients to really be able to have a breakout performance. Mm. No, you're totally right. Trying to play loose on the court is obviously easier said than done. Very much so. And I think 
to a certain extent, it's just a matter of time, you know, when someone starts playing the game. I remember when I first started, I didn't sleep. It was probably, you know, about 10, 12 tournaments before I could get yes. um, get a decent night's sleep before game time. And, Likewise, yeah. me as well. And now I have to set my alarm to make sure I wake up. <laughs> But it wasn't ever like that. I used to maybe sleep to 2 a.m. and then I was awake. And, yes. And I've decided, as opposed to not looking at the draw, I always look at the draw and I just mentally kind of think about, you know, the first two matches or so and try to kind of run through what, what's likely going to happen um, and get to a more comfortable area mentally and emotionally about it that usually lets me get back to sleep. Yeah. I found that I used to wake up in the middle of the night looking at the draw, you know, and it, w- it would be nervous excitement, competitive, nervous juices, excited to compete. And now I find I don't really look at it that much anymore. I mean, maybe in the morning when I wake up, I used to find myself at 4 a.m., you know, checking out the draw. I-, I don't so much anymore. Just being confident in my game, knowing I can go out there and do what I need to do. I have a great partner that I'm confident with and, and know that we're going to do the best that we can for each other and hopefully make a big upset. Yeah. I think often it just takes that one win to get over the, well, they, they call it sometimes in the fight game, uh, the happy to be here's. You know, there's a lot of people that come up and you're, you're one of them. So you started off, you didn't, you know, jump straight into 5.0. You played some 4.5 events early on, right? I did. Yes, I did. I started in the 4.5. In Tennessee, there really wasn't a lot of an opportunity to get rated. I mean, you were really self-rated for quite a while. I didn't want to advance in my game until I knew. I felt like I was there. I was very successful in the 4-5. I was winning the majority of all the tournaments in 4-5 level and was trying my best to get rated. I remember I went out to Grand Canyon State Games for my first time, the first time to go out west because I'd heard everybody is such great players out west and they are. But I went out to Grand Canyon State Games and did very, very well out there and tried to get rated and still couldn't get rated. <laughs> Just to try to get potentially, you know, a 5-0 status or whatever that may be, whatever I was at the time. I really didn't know enough to know. I really grew slowly through the ranks, started in the, you know, four or five level and grew up, was able to compete with some of the top players, even though I wasn't able to travel and play quite as much as all the others, but hoping that I can still continue to advance. Well, I mean, that's a great kind of way to look at things. And I think someone who does, um, you know, really have to work to get up to a pro level has a different kind of appreciation um, than someone who kind of stumbles across it. Yes. Um, I was certainly lucky in terms of the the kind of period that I came into the sport. You know, there just wasn't the the sharks that there are now swimming around that possess a lot of sort of gatekeeping problems for someone who isn't 6'3", uh, tall, dark, and handsome. You're all of those. All of those, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> you check all the boxes. All of them. Jeez, yes. God, I got to. I got to change this mirror then because it's it's lying to me. Um, It's only what you see inside, Morgan. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. It's, uh, yeah, it's mostly blood and guts, really. But, um, (laughs) well, Katie, this has been far too much fun. We should totally do it again. Absolutely. No, I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, I I can't wait to get back on the court and see my friends compete. Have a great time. I mean, it's never a dull moment. I certainly enjoy being on the court. I think most people know that about me. I'm always going to have a good time no matter what. Well, if you get a free weekend, come out to the desert. And if you don't mind, um, you know, fairly fairly serious. Oh, I would love heat. to. One of my favorite places to play, that's yeah. for sure. I mean, my first my first nationals. Yeah, I mean, God. I went out there, gosh, not this past, not this past December, but the, or November, but the November before. 
and was able to do really well in the, my first year out there at Nationals. So Good. So you travel well. I like it. Not everyone travels well. Yeah, I, I certainly did. I was able to adjust pretty well to the California heat and, and loved every minute of it. Brilliant. That's great. Well, I'm afraid this our time is almost up, but... Yeah, this was great. I think we got a lot covered. We've solved most of the world's problems. We've uh, taken a look at pickleball pharmacies. Yeah, thank you so much, Morgan. (laughs) You're very welcome. When when do you think things are going to start back up? What's your opinion on that? Ooh, um, hopefully before I'm a senior, or at least super senior. Um, (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I'd be if I'm yeah, if I'm truthful, I'd be a little surprised if there's a major tournament this uh, this year. I think. Really? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll. Um, some places will be able to get away with some round robin stuff. You know, relatively yeah. small amounts of people with plenty of courts. Yeah, I'm just holding out for the hopes of nationals, but who knows? There was a, a threat of the U.S. Open tennis tournament coming to um, Indian Wells. Yes, I heard that around the same time, right? Yeah, around the same time, which would mean that you know the nationals wouldn't be able to be held at. Uh, Indian Wells. But, you know, as soon as I heard that, someone high up in the ranks quickly squashed it. So who knows? I mean, I think everyone's just flying by the seat of the pants. I actually heard that same rumor through the grapevine, through the pickleball grapevine. Well, as soon as there is one, I'm sure I will see you. So that'll be good. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. I really, really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'll be sure to put you back on the list so we get you on again here soon. All right. That sounds great. Thanks, Morgan. Thank you so much, Katie. Take care. All right. We'll see you soon. Cheers. I'm Morgan Evans, and this has been More or Less Pickleball. This podcast is powered by Selkirk. I mean, of course it is. There's no way I could pull this off on my own. All we've got is me chasing a punk with a with a three iron. <laughs> well, at least you had a three iron. Anything would go a long way with a three iron. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the kid had a knife, but I thought, oh, I've got the reach advantage here. <laughs> Definitely got the three iron. Yeah. Should be okay. <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. who's on top there. There's no doubt. There's no doubt you were on top. I think so. He didn't even want to compete. I was a little disappointed. Um... <laughs> he didn't even put up a good fight. No, he just ran like the wind. He was quick, though. I thought, ah, maybe I'll get him into pickleball, you know, set him, set him straight, set him on the, on the right way. <laughs> he, he might have had a little age advantage on you. Possibly, possibly. I, feel, I still feel sprightly, you know, ish. <laughs> anyway, we're using all the good stuff before we've even started.